grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ in truth and in love. Amen. Today we're going to conclude our stroll through the epistle of 2 Thessalonians, Paul's second letter. And as we approach the end of the church year, it's one of those features of the church calendar that right before we hit Advent, uh, the themes and the lessons of the scriptures that we that we read here in worship, they really key in on the second coming of Christ. If you haven't grown up with our church body or if this is new to you, that's kind of one of the features of, of the church calendar. Because before we start a new church year, by focusing on the first coming of Christ during the seasons of Advent and Christmas, it's a helpful practice for us to revisit those themes of the last things, how it's all going to shake out in these end times. And so 2 Thessalonians sits right here at the end of the church year for a reason. As we've been learning, St. Paul writes this second letter to his beloved brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica. He writes them to encourage them, but also to correct their thinking on the end times because they were being troubled by some false teachers, these teachers that had them uh, thinking that Christ's return was already upon them or that his return had already happened. So this would be very troubling indeed if that were the case, if they missed the boat. So Paul writes to them to give them what they need, to give them some timely encouragement. And that's the way that the scriptures work. At times, scripture gives us that comfort and that encouragement that we need in the gospel, like what we heard from chapter 1 a couple weeks ago. There, Paul encouraged his brothers and sisters with his own thankfulness for their partnership in the gospel. He comforted them and encouraged them with the sure and certain hope of Christ's return and with his continued prayers that they be kept in the one true faith. And the Bible gives us that encouragement when and where we need it. It's God's word to us. But sometimes it gives us a swift kick in the pants as well. And it's not the kick of an overbearing and abusive parent or some tyrant. It's the kick of a loving God who didn't just save us from sin, death, and the devil so that we could sit around twiddling our thumbs and staring at the sky. It's a loving God who has saved us and redeemed us for his own purposes. So today in chapter 3, we see Paul focus in on the implications of what it means to live in the end times. Because Jesus is coming to make all things new, and because he is coming to usher in the new Jerusalem, Christians are not engaged in idleness, Rather, they are engaged in the vocations of the kingdom. Because you have been called by the gospel, because you have been brought into the true faith and into communion with Christ through the ministry of this church, God has sanctified your entire life. That means he has set your life apart for his holy purposes. What that means is that it all matters. It all matters. Here's an easier way for you to understand my big fancy preacher statements. Ready? If you're a parent in the room, you aren't just a parent. 
You are raising a generation of baptized children of God. You're teaching them to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And you are teaching them faithful lives of service in this world. If you're a young person in the room, you're not just a student. You're not just an attendee at your school. You're actually being trained, formed, and molded through the means that God uses for a fruitful life of service in God's kingdom, wherever it is he places you. If you are a retiree, it's not as if God has finished using you. Just because your vocation has changed doesn't mean that he's done with you. Instead, your work just looks different now. And on and on we could go. I would run out of time to talk about all of your stations in life. But that's where the kick in the pants comes in. God's word teaches us here that we are to be diligent in the callings that he's given to us, not lazy. And that's St. Paul's end times exhortation to those Thessalonian Christians living in those end times. And it's his exhortation to us today. Because as we've been talking about, the end times isn't just something that's far off and is going to happen in the future, or it's the end times is not just based on what's happening in American politics. As soon as Jesus came out of the tomb, it was the end times. They were living in the end times back then, we're living in the end times today. It's no different. So Paul's words are timely for us. So let's jump into the text. If you have a device with you, or if you have a, a, a hard copy of the scriptures, I encourage you to pull that out. And uh, follow along in the text with me, Second Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, and it's uh, it's usually inappropriate to be messing around with your phone in the church, but I'm giving you full permission to do that, and uh, you know just don't take advantage of your Christian liberty to sit there and I don't know play Candy Crush or something like that. <laughs> but let's jump into the text, verses one through three. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. <clears throat> so connect this with what we've heard the last couple of weeks. Because Jesus is returning for his people, because his return is imminent, it's, it's going to happen, it's a guarantee, because he is coming to make all things new, and, and, because his return is not quite yet, we are to be diligent in prayer. That's what Paul's teaching here. Did you know that prayer is a vocation that God has given to you? I know that you understand that you are supposed to pray, that you sit under the weight of the law that says that you ought to pray, and you feel guilty whenever you don't pray enough. But think of it more like this. It's actually a vocation that he's given to you. Whenever you were called into the faith by the word of the gospel, God put his name upon you. He gave it to you as a gift so that you could make use of his name, so that you could call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. It's why you, on a regular basis, every single second of every single day, are invited to call upon him and say, Our Father. And it's not just an invitation. It's also a command. So here's what this means for you and for me. This, as I was wrestling with this this week and as I was reflecting upon the Lord's Prayer, 
this is kind of what I came to realize, that we pray not just whenever we feel like it and whenever it flows naturally from our spontaneous heart. If you were going to pray on that basis, when would you pray? <laughs> Never. And that's, usually, that's my sin right there. I just kind of wait until I feel like it, and then I get around to it. But actually what God is telling us to do here is actually pray, not on the basis of how you feel, and not based on your own subjective experience, but based on his word and his promises. Even when you don't feel like it. He has commanded us to pray, and he promises to hear us. So what is this passage of Scripture teaching us to pray for? Well, just as Paul ended chapter 2 by saying that he was, he was continuing in prayer for the Thessalonian Christians, here he actually solicits their prayers for himself. He says, can you please pray for me? Can you please pray for my fellow brothers in the ministry of the word? Today's a celebration in the life of our church. We celebrate four years of God's faithfulness as we were officially chartered on November 18th, 2018. And several of you here were involved with that work and you were doing it well before that charter. We were planted as a congregation with a mission to share refuge in God's strength and comfort. And the way that God gets his strength and his comfort to people are through his gifts of life and salvation. So let's keep it in perspective. As a congregation, you and I, we are involved with lots of wonderful activities. We are doing a lot of stuff in this community that often goes unseen. Uh, if you're just here on Sunday and nothing beyond that, there's a lot of stuff that goes on from week to week. And it's all really beneficial for our neighbors and for ourselves. We're, we're doing a lot of stuff here with the limited resources that we have. But what makes us a congregation, what makes us the church of Jesus Christ, is the proclamation of the word and the administration of the sacraments. That is the most urgent work of the church. Therefore, this work requires the prayers of the faithful, that the gospel would advance, that God's kingdom would come among us and into the lives of our neighbors. And as you and I pray for that work, we ourselves become attached to it. It actually becomes important to us. We are invested in its success. That's the opposite of the idleness that Paul is warning against. These Thessalonian Christians who were engaged in idleness, he says, being busybodies, they weren't engaged in the work of the church. They weren't engaged in the ministry of the word that comes to us through the ministry of the church. So this is for all Christians, young, old, somewhere in between, wherever you're at, that we pray diligently for God to bring many to faith through the word of the gospel. I would especially, I usually don't do this, but I would especially encourage the elderly among us. If you find that you have more time to yourself than you once did, if you find that you aren't able to get around as much as you used to, don't even entertain the thought that God won't use you that he's through with you. Actually, this is the office that he has placed you in. You have been given the opportunity to commit yourself to pray for the people in this congregation, to pray for myself and the ministry of the word, pray for our staff. And listen to Paul's words of promise as you and I commit to this work of prayer. 
verses 4 and 5. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing well, and we'll do the things that and we'll do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Savor these words today. As you reflect on the blessing of this congregation. God is at work here. And because of that, we are confident that we are doing those things that he has commanded. And as we continue this work together, we will do so in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, as Paul teaches us. So we see that all Christians are, are to commit themselves to prayer for the sake of the church's mission. Now the rest of our verses today have to do with faithful involvement and support of the church's work. Look at verses 6 through 9. It says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. So here's that warning against idleness. Here's kind of that, that kick in the pants. It, it's a caution against sitting on the sidelines while everyone else does the heavy lifting. What's that rule? I think it applies both in corporate and in the church life as well, that 20% uh, that of the congregation or 20% of the workforce does 80% of the work. You know, Paul is cautioning us against that. Don't let that happen. Don't do that. Don't take advantage of those who labor faithfully. During Paul's time, I want you to consider this. During Paul's time, the, the church was completely dependent upon one another that they lived their lives together. They did everything together. None of this kind of modern American individualism that we all hold so dear. It was a communal effort. And they were sharing food, they were sharing clothing, sometimes homes and so forth. I'm not advocating that we do all that stuff, okay? I'm just saying they were involved in one another's lives like you and I can't even imagine. So when somebody loafs around or when somebody doesn't take that work seriously, everyone feels it and everyone knows it, right? It's the body of Christ, and whenever one part doesn't function properly, either that person needs care, they need help, or the rest of the body is going to feel it in a very particular way. This is why Paul thought it was super important for him to go above and beyond, that he wasn't going to go to their church and live off the gifts of the people, as would have been his right, but he was going to set the tone. He was going to set the example. He was going to show them what it meant to labor faithfully. He chose to keep making tents while he was with them. He needed to set that tone. This isn't about legalism. This isn't about white-knuckling our way through the Christian life. Rather, this, what Paul is teaching here is the natural implications of being redeemed by God. This is the natural result of what it means to be his baptized children. Like some of you have said in your homes, and I know we say it often in our home to our children, are you part of this family? They say, yes. Good. Well, this is what our family does. Right? That's not legalism. That means this is your identity. This is who you are in Christ. 
So this is what we do. Jesus Christ has forgiven all of our sins. He has bled and died for them on his cross. He has walked out of the grave on the third day, guaranteeing us the resurrection and hope uh, of the life of the world to come. And because he has promised to return for us, he has accomplished he has accomplished everything that we need for salvation. He has done it all. All the heavy lifting. And you and I didn't lift a finger. That work is finished. Complete. But the work of the church, our collective witness together in the various places and stations that God has assigned us, that, my friends, has only just begun. And the work of the church is the work of Christ in this world. And as we do that work together, God promises to work through us. Despite all of our weaknesses and our failures and our faults, he's delighted to do it. He's delighted to work through ordinary people like you and me. But some Christians in Thessalonica were misapplying this end times teaching. They thought that they could just punt on their duties and their tasks that God gave them because Jesus was coming back anyway, so who cares? Who cares about any of this? Or in some cases, they were saying, oh, we don't have to work very hard because he's already come back anyway. So let's kind of wait around just to die. So here's what Paul says to that. Verses 10 through 12. Here's what he says. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. And he continues, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is kind of funny to think about. Some have speculated that what these busy bodies were doing back in Thessalonica is that they were actually, rather than going to their own places of business, they were actually going to the shops and to the bazaars and to all of those places of business for the folks in their congregation. And they were just kind of stirring up trouble and kind of distracting them from their own jobs. I mean, it's kind of funny to think about. Uh, if one of our fellow congregation members kind of showed up at your job and just started kind of like messing around, rustling with your papers on your desk and stuff, instead of going, hey, so what are you doing today? You know? It's funny for us to think about, but actually, God takes that very seriously. Paul took it seriously. Um, whatever he has given you to do, whether that be as employees as parents, as neighbors, grandparents, friends, wherever you work, play, eat, whatever station God has located you in, he has given you those callings so that in those callings you would bear the fruits of the kingdom. Because you know that your Savior is returning for you at the end of all things, you and I can labor together faithfully in prayer and in the places that he has you for his glory, and for the good and the blessing of your neighbor. Paul says in verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. Sometimes we do, don't we? We grow weary in doing good. But we're here to bear one another's burdens. We're here to confess our sins together and receive God's forgiveness. We're here to spur one another on to love and good works because we know what our Lord has promised. 
We know what he has promised. We talked about it last week. There's just one more promise for him to fulfill. Just one more. And it's his return for his beloved bride, you and me. So there's the kick in the pants on this anniversary celebration fortress. And we know that because it comes from God, it's a loving one. It's not just a kick, not just an exhortation, but it's a reminder, church, to keep doing the things that you are already doing. Serve and support the church. Pray for this congregation and its ministry. Do your job well. Love and serve your families. Make Jesus the center of everything that you do. Because it's in Him that we find refuge and strength. It's in Him that we have the strong fortress of God. It's in Him that we have that refuge and strength and comfort for the rest of the world. So today we celebrate four years of God's faithfulness. We reflect on everything that He's done. We reflect on what He's doing in the lives of our people, the people that are here and the people in the community. And I suspect that four more years are going to blow by. And we're going to look up. And we're going to wonder where it's all gone. But we're going to reflect again on God's faithfulness. His kindness and mercy towards us in the gospel. Just the same. And we're going to always be looking ahead to what he will do in the future. That promise that he will keep for us whenever he returns at last. Do not grow weary in doing good. Because it is the Lord Jesus Christ who works in you and through you to accomplish his good purpose as you and I eagerly await that return. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.